fucking food. Fucking hole. Fucking To fucking go right. Fucking Hey guys, thanks so much for checking out another episode of A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole, and I hope everyone's doing okay. A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole is a little podcast where I'll be digging through my vinyl collection of about 500 records, and also my tiny brain of about 500 remaining brain cells, and taking a light-hearted, laid-back, positive fanboys look at my favourite songs and bits of songs and artists that fall within a different, pointless and set theme every episode. It really is just an attempt to archive some stories, interviews and great music for like-minded rock music fans. I will choose from any song part or artist that has given me joy as a listener or a slight Norwegian wood as a musician. It's not a countdown, as they are stupid, but I will leave my favourite choice for last. This is just a bit of chilled, unnecessary fun that hopefully inspires someone to support a musician by buying some tickets, music or merch, or listen to an old favourite album and check out some of this amazing shit that has formed the soundtrack of my life. As a lot of people do like to share their opinions these days, please let me know if you think that I've missed anything in my record collection that I know and that I like by sending me an email at I will never check this email address at go fuck yourself forward slash cock goblin. That's cock spelt with a K, and I'll get back to you as soon as I give a shit. Seriously, if you do want to say hi, you can hit me up and follow the podcast on Instagram and Facebook, A Rock and Roll Rabbit Hole Podcast, or via the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com. I'd love to hear from you. The website also has Spotify playlists of all the songs used in each episode, past episodes, including the occasional bonus episode that I do, and some other golden magic. I also have small playlists of the great lesser-known artists that I highlight at the end of each episode on the Victims tab of the website. Please, please rate, review, subscribe and share the podcast if you're digging it. That is super helpful and appreciated. Thanks again, and here goes. And now we'd like to do All the Angels Come. Thanks again, guys, for listening. And before we get into it, this week's episode is the second part of my stupid rabbit hole dig on three-syllable artists singing three-syllable songs. There's way more than I thought, but there's a bunch of good stories I found. Do check out last week's episode if you haven't done so already, and here's what we got up to. Recapping the magic. Imagine. So let's just jerk off together. And I- so way back in episode two, we covered the three-syllable Rod Stewart's classic three-syllable Maggie Mate. And Rod Stewart and the three-syllabled Ronnie Wood wrote a great three-syllabled song in 1971 for the disappointingly two-syllabled band Faces, but I'm going to pop it in here as the band actually call themselves The Faces, but the album covers say Faces. 
Now, many of you um, may recall in uh, history, I was in a band called The Faces in the early 70s. I remember being in a dressing room, I think in Detroit or somewhere like that, with Rod and coming up with um, the chord sequence to stay with me. And Rod, was, we were getting ready to go on, and he was saying, come on, play something to make me get ready for the gig. And I was saying, we put some words to this, you know. So I was playing, dang, 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 you know, the riff, and, he's, and he immediately came up and stayed with me. So, and then he started to mess around with some words. I know your name is Rita and all that, and because um, your perfume is smelling sweeter. Anyway, so, we kicked it around, and before we knew it, um, we went in the studio on the back of that, and we had a couple of other songs that we wrote in dressing rooms. So, stay with me, the only hit the faces had. famous bandmates are also three-syllable legends, Mick Jagger and Keith Richards. In the 80s, it was rumoured that Mick and Keith didn't talk for about five years, and they both released solo records. So I'm going to pick a song off Mick's second solo album, Primitive Cool, and Keith's debut album, Talk Is Cheap. Neither of the albums were huge hits, but I love them both, especially Primitive Cool, as I've had that record since I was a kid, and I kind of got into Keith's solo stuff much later. Keith's Talk Is Cheap was released in October 88 and made it to number 24 in the US and 37 in the UK. And Primitive Call was released in September 87 and made it to 41 in the US and 26 in the UK. Throw Away by Mick Jagger. I play the fool, I play the clown. I'm a lover when I come to 
definitely got a cool thing going on. Locked away, Keith Richards. quick note on the four-syllable Rolling Stones' threeedness in their ranks. As mentioned, Mick, Keith and Ronnie are all three-syllabled nuggets. Their other two guitarists, Brian Jones and Mick Taylor, are both three-syllabled names. Bill Wyman was replaced by Daryl Jones in 1994, both three-syllabled names. Chuck Level has also been in their live band since 1982 on keys. Before the three-syllabled Bill Wyman joined, they got rid of the four-syllabled Ricky Fenson and Colin Golding. And also the four-syllabled Tony Chapman and Carlo Little played drums in the Stones before they hired the three-syllabled Charlie Watts. And the smoking gun in this three-syllabled conspiracy that I've just invented was the four-syllabled Ian Stewart, who started the band on piano. And Charlie joined in January 63, and by May 63, Ian Stewart was removed from the band by early Stones manager Andrew Lug Oldham as he didn't fit the band's image. He did remain playing with the band live until his death in 1985. I just wanted to say a couple of words about Stu. You know, the thing about him was that I don't think the Rolling Stones would ever have got going if it hadn't been for him. He was a great player, he was a great piano player, he was a great guy that got us all together. Rolling Stones are only here because of Israel. Without him, this, uh, the Rolling Stones would never have existed. He hooked with Brian, and then Mick and I sort of waltzed in, uh, and, uh, and then suddenly it became the Rolling Stones. Uh, Stu got me in the band. It was Stu's idea to have me in the band, actually. 
But I played in other bands that he played with and, and he had his own band, which I played in. He was always encouraging to me throughout my um, opening days with the Stones and all the rehearsing I had to do and, and uh, all the swatting up and, and the back catalogue. Well, my vision from behind is always Stu uh, had the lunch sticking out of his back pockets <laughs> and um, various tool, tools and equipment. Um, yeah, it's it wonderful to, to see the um, excess bummage that he carried around. He, he didn't like fussy music, he liked straight ahead things. If he didn't want to play something, he wouldn't play it. If you didn't like how it went, it was... Here's Tom Petty and the band talking about the record, Damn the Torpedoes, featuring their three-syllabled Refugee. That was a record where life was never going to be the same again. It was a real sense of uh, a mission. You know, we were going to make this record and it was going to be great. We knew we were doing something that sounded exciting, and that's what we were going for. I had no doubt that we were going to do something that no one ever heard before. I knew that we were going to have an impact sonically. In that album, we developed a drum sound that was very big, huge, beautiful drum sound. For years, that sound was imitated, changed the way drums were recorded, really. We spent a lot of time with the sonics of the album, how the tones fit together, and made this really polished but tough-sounding record. It really sounded like nothing else out there. It was joy, you know, just spinning across the dial and hearing yourself again and again on different stations. At one point, we had four songs on the air at the same time from that album. What I really like about that take was the vocal is really good. There's no guitar solo overdubs or anything. It's just the band playing. You can hear the rhythm guitars really clearly, how Tom and I are playing against each other without any other clutter in there. We cut Refugee maybe hundreds of times, going for the magic take. There's just roomfuls of, of tapes with nothing but Refugee, Refugee, Refugee. We did not edit a single take together on that record. They're complete takes of every song. The album was released in 1979 and made it to number two in the US and was ranked number 313 on Rolling Stone's greatest albums of all time. It still sounds great to this day and this one is dedicated to the two-syllabled wanker, Garth Plug. One of the greatest behind-a-gig roadie songs ever is from 1977 and happens to qualify for this week's rabbit hole, the three-syllable Jackson Browns, The Loadout. The song Loadout uh, is such a great description of not only life on the road, but sort of the end of a gig. You've got an auditorium then. There's been a wonderful atmosphere and great music and the audience have come together as one and then suddenly they're all gone. And the roadies are just on their own, loading up the gear, pulling it up the ramps. And I mean, it is so descriptive. Did you work a long time on that song? No, that song came 
Well, we lived it, so it, you could say that it developed over a period of time. But Brian Garofalo and I sat down one night, and we we're going to like, you know, like we. I think we we're had had written it in a couple of hours. And it's great to put stay on the end of it. Well, that was the original idea. So that was the idea. Like, we'll we'll describe this thing, and it'll be like it'll be the end of the show, and everything will get. It was almost like everything will get packed away, and then magically. The band will come back out and we'll, 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 we'll keep playing, you know, and it'll, it'll be that, that turning the tradition of the encore 180 degrees so it's us asking the audience to stay. And in contrast to Tom Petty's Damn the Torpedoes record we chatted about earlier, the loadout was from Jackson Brown's Running on Empty record, which was themed around touring life, and it was all recorded on the road, either live or on buses or in backstage areas. The loadout, Jackson Brown. Now the seats are all empty Let the roadies take the stage Pack it up and tear it down They're the first to come and the last to leave Working for that minimum wage They'll set it up in another town Tonight the people were so fine They waited there in line And when they got up on their feet It made the show And that was sweet But I can hear the sound Of slamming doors and folding chairs And that's the sound they'll never know down and get him up them ramps Cause when it comes to moving me You know you guys are the champs But when that last guitar's been packed away You know that I still wanna play So just make sure you got it all set to go Before you come from my piano And we basically started L.A. Guns together. He was, you know, the drummer. And um, our manager had fired Axel at one of our shows. Um, and that same night after, you know, he was fired, we all lived together. Uh, we decided that we were just going to carry on and we changed the name of the band and we changed the name to Guns N' Roses. And we added Izzy. That was the only real difference in the beginning. So it was Rob Gardner, Oli Bike, uh, me, Izzy, and Axel. And um, I think Oli was the first to go. You know, he he really wanted to play metal, and we had turned into more of a blues-influenced heavy rock band and, you know, with a little bit of tinge of glam rock in there. And, and he really didn't want to do that. He wanted to do something else. Um, and unfortunately, uh, he never found what he was looking for. Yeah. And, and, you know, and by the time I had left, you know, Guns N' Roses started L.A. Guns, both bands were doing really well. And um, over time, you know, he, he battled depression, and, um, you know, eventually he, he drowned um, in 
in a body of water, you know, in Denmark uh, in, yeah. the, in the early 90s. And, uh, you know, I really loved that guy. You know, he was very, very serious guy, but he had a great sense of humor. Uh, he helped me, you know, with, with a lot of things. He, you know, he was about 10 years older than me, you know, so good guy. And then Rob... Rob was, a, was a, a great drummer and a cool thing, and his girlfriend gave him an ultimatum when we were in Guns N' Roses. You know, it's either the band or me. So he left the band, and then she left him. So that didn't work out very well either. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So uh, because you're the uh, original guitar player of Guns N' Roses, we of course we heard the story uh, about how you left the band. And how yeah. it brought in Slash and everything. But what was your reaction when you first heard the album, uh, their their debut album, when it came out, The Appetite for Destruction? Did you hear it right away? And what did you think of it back then? I actually, we were recording the first LA Guns record, and um, somebody from Geffen had sent over a cassette to me um, when they had just, you know, finished mastering uh, Appetite for Destruction. Uh, and I went in a, in a separate studio. We were at the Village Recorders. I remember like it was yesterday. And I put that record on and I was blown away. You know, I, I loved it. It was like, it was like a brand new, you know, Aerosmith record with more balls. That's, that's how I described it back then. It's like, wow. And then when It's So Easy came on, um, of that listen where Axel had a low and a high voice going at the same time. I was really impressed by that, and uh, you know I love the record, and I and so I went into the studio and I said, "Hey guys, man, you know, let's take a break. You got to listen to this Guns N' Roses record," and they really didn't give a shit because it was like, "Oh, you know, you just care about it because that was your band," blah blah blah, <laughs> and I'm like, "I'm like, no, this is a fucking great record." And they really didn't care for it until it came out and exploded in everybody's face, you know? Um, and then everybody decided, oh, wow, that's a great record. But, yeah, um, that's, a, that's it's not even a great record. It's a devastating record, you know? It, yeah. it's, it's amazing. I, I, I still listen to that record. Yeah. Okay, but do you think, generally, when you left the band back in the day, uh, do you think it was a good idea for you, or do you think it's... It's better for them that they uh, moved on with Slash or anything. You know, what what do you ever think about that? Yeah, um, I mean, I haven't thought about it in a long time, but you see, Slash um, was was playing in, in the band Hollywood Rose. Yeah, you know, at the same time, L.A. Guns was rolling around, and that was with Axel and Izzy. So they were kind of already established and had some songs, anyways. And Slash actually was a fan of Guns N' Roses. Um, he did our logo and, and a flyer for us and stuff like that. So it, it just made a lot of sense. It made a lot of sense to me. Um, he definitely brought more of a contrast um, between him and Axel, you know, to the live thing. You know, I mean, me and Axel are just like two rocker guys. You know, Slash, you know, really had his image together and really... Uh, you know, was, was like almost like a, uh, an alien coming in and saving the world. You know what I mean? It was really, really, a, the chemistry is undeniable, you know? And, um, when I played in the band, um, you know, I was still going through my Randy Rhodes influence and trying to figure out, 
how to how to you know incorporate those styles and stuff into into what I was doing. And Slash was all you know pretty much already playing the way he's maintained his whole career. And that's just, you know, a great blues rock heavy guitarist. And that's exactly what the band needed. And, uh, you know, I don't believe that band would have been what it is today if I had stayed in that band. No. Yeah. So, so, you out there? I said you out there, Tokyo, let me hear you. Okay, this is a new song we're gonna do for ya. This one's gonna be on the next album. This is Rip and Tear. That was the three-syllable Tracy Guns talking about LA Guns. LA Guns have sold over six million albums themselves, and Tracy has left LA Guns a few times over the years, and he's back with the band now, and in 2002 formed the Brides of Destruction with another 1980s three-syllable legend, Nicky Six. The Brides of Destruction reunited Nicky with Vince Neil's temporary replacement, John Karabi, in the three-syllable Motley Crue, who was in the band from 92 to 96. Here's Motley Crue's three-syllable producer, Tom Werman, talking about Looks at Kill. I really enjoyed working with the crew. It was a new experience and an uh, exciting experience for a sheltered Ivy League preppy. <laughs> I, was, I was kind of like a trained seal when I got to L.A. And I sort of lived my teenage years after I was... 33 or so. <laughs> Listening to some of those demos that they included on a re-release of Shot at the Devil, you know, you listen to like Looks at Kill, and I mean, it really just sounds like some local band. What is it? I'm listening to it thinking, what is it that really separates it from the final version? But what is it that kind of makes the song, especially like a Looks at Kill, it's kind of a cheesy guitar riff. And when you play it, it almost sounds kind of goofy. However, on the album, it sounds it sounds really killer on the album. But on the demo, I thought it kind of had a little bit of that goofiness again. But what what is it overall that makes that song come together and really sound like a hit? You know, I can't put my finger on it. What sound, you know, demos sound like demos because they were made probably live, pretty much live, in a, in a you know, a, a low-grade a low studio or at home. 
I don't know. I don't know where their demos were made, but all demos sound crappy. You just have to listen through the crap and say, we can do something. I can do something with this song. Here's an idea that I have. And then you get into a top drawer studio with a top drawer engineer and top drawer mics. And you paid attention to the song. You've rehearsed it. It's in its second version now after the original demo. You've refined it. And it's just a combination of all those good things that result in a much better version of the song. Also, if you don't have a, a producer guy in there saying, that's good, but if you did this, it might be better, try that. You didn't have an objective person really uh, in, the, in, in the control room judging which performance was the best one for that song. On the Looks That Kill demo, there was, on the chorus, there was like an extra, she's got the Looks That Kill, That Kill, That Kill. It kind of repeated twice instead of the gap. Yeah, I think that may be, have been, and I can't remember. Remember, this is like, what, 30 <laughs> years, 35 years ago. Uh, I think it may have been because I pretty much featured the James Bond melody. That song is the James Bond, the chorus is the James Bond theme. Here's the three-syllabled Nikki Six and Tommy Lee talking about the film clip for the three-syllabled Looks That Kill. What I seem to remember is one of the fun, funnest, funniest moments of the video. I mean, it was fun making it, of course, always, but one of the things that sticks out as a, a, a highlight was us in full-blown makeup, lipstick, leathers, you, you name it, full motley regalia. And some light grip or sound, or I don't know, some dude goes, you know, we overhear him saying, like, these guys look like fags. And I'll never forget, Nikki fucking looks over, looks down at him, and he goes, look, just because we're wearing fucking lipstick doesn't mean I can't come down and kick your fucking ass. <laughs> just because I'm wearing lipstick doesn't mean I, I can't, can't kick, kick your, your ass, ass dude. dude. And we were right. <laughs>
As I've done in the past few episodes, I've taken a break in the middle to play a new release from a lesser-known upcoming artist. And for this week, I want to play a song called Queen of Wands from Melbourne artist Witching Hour from their EP released a few days ago called Book of Shadows. Head over to the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com, and click on the Victims tab for a link to the EP, and I'll pop the film clip on the Golden Magic tab. Queen of Wands by Witching Hour. She's back, a paradigm shift Lifted the veil to my one and only Let's breathe I was stuck in slow motion My color was fading mm, I'd go tiptoe with bated breath It shows I hadn't let go yet Mm-mm. Casting spells, recast the part Now I'm finally friends with the dark I'm bathing in it My heart restarts My heart restarts the three-syllabled Mark Knopfler and Dire Straits three-syllabled manager Ed Bicknell talking in Sydney about the last show on the Brothers in Arms tour. I've been, uh, have, we've been able to maintain standards uh, all the way through and find new things in the music all the time. The other thing is that I'm very proud of the band and the crew for, for getting the whole thing sorted out is the fact that there's a lot of fans there that come in to see the band who aren't necessarily a rock and roll the fans that we'd be used to having just a, a seething mass of real rock and roll fans in there. There's a lot of other people coming in that, I mean, we, for want of a better word, you could kind of call them the tourist bit. They're just curious that that sort of, I'll go and have a look at this. I must see what all the fuss is about. And it's nice to turn them on to it, turn them around during the course of a night. The tour consisted of 248 concerts in 23 countries and 118 cities. 2.5 million people saw the tour, including 900,000 in New Zealand and Australia. And the band also took the 13th of July, 1985, off to play at Wembley Stadium for Live Aid. And here's the beautiful three-syllabled, Why Worry?
Here's Bill Withers talking about his three-syllabled classic, Lean On Me. I think wherever you grow up, you know, you can go somewhere else, but you never really leave that place. You know, it goes with you, the good and the bad. I, I remember we had a phone and the people across the street had a refrigerator, so they gave us ice and they used our phone. Just the economics made people kind of share and and uh, help each other out. Sometimes in our lives we all have pain, we all have sorrow, but if we are wise, we know that there's always tomorrow. a beautiful song and with sorrowful ears I'm sorry to announce that there's a man there you know he's the host of the show and you'll find that he fucking hates choirs this one is possibly the worst one I've heard due to the drums and just everything is fucked shit about this oh god just so much me 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 That's a US Navy band, and it kind of made me think, wonder, and wish they were the band at Pearl Harbor. Way to suck the life out of a simple, beautiful song. 
We end tonight with news of a man whose music will have already been soothing many of us through these troubled times. Soul singer and songwriter Bill Withers has died at 81 with Lovely Day and Ain't No Sunshine and Just the Two of Us. His music charts the highs and lows of most our lives. His family said he was a solitary man with a heart driven to connect to the world. So we thought we'd leave you tonight with the song he left us, which should perhaps be the anthem for our times. From all of us here, have a lovely weekend. Stay well. Good night. I may have told this story before, but years ago I bought a $1 pirate copy of a three-syllable artist's three-syllable album. I was never really a huge fan of him, mainly due to his first single, the three-syllable No Such Thing and Your Body Needs a Wonder Bra or whatever it is, off the three-syllabled Room for Squares, which I thought at the time was a three-syllabled piece of shit. I sort of steered clear of him after that, but I took a chance on Born and Raised for a dollar to get rid of the local trying to sell me my stuff in a restaurant in Bali. I now love most of John Mayer's stuff after the first record, and Born and Raised is my favourite. And one of the highlights off the record is the three-syllabled Speak For Me. singing about his love of music from the past in 2012 but since then two great three-syllable artists have emerged to be right up there in my favorites i do hate choirs except when they're used sparingly in original music as perfectly shown here in this three by three nugget rival sons shooting stars It's stronger than yours. It's stronger than yours. It's stronger than yours. My love is stronger than yours. Hate will ever be. And my faith is deeper than yours. It's deeper than yours. It's deeper than yours. Is deeper than your doubt will ever be. We move through the world like shooting stars across the sky.
It's louder than yours. Shooting Stars is off Rival Sun's three-syllable Feral Roots, and just because I can, here's the great title track too. On the mountain where I was born, there are trees that would call my name. On the wind they would bring a song for every feral to claim. They'd say, keep your eyes open and we'll teach you to dream while you are awake well they haven't spoken since their branches were broken for the fire that they told me to Sun singer Jay Buchanan talking about the album. Uh, why? We've got two nominations at the Grammys yes. this year, and that's going to be taking place. It's about time. Yeah. It's about time. You uh, know, I, I, you know, being on the outside, the band has this is our seventh record, and for us to get the recognition um, and get it get nominated for two two different categories is wild because. We aren't really adept to how that whole thing works, you know, like that inner circle of the the recording academy. You know, we've always been on the outskirts, just living and working, you know, yeah. working in the trenches and everything. So to be recognized by a jury of your, a panel of your peers. Supposedly. Yeah, supposedly. <laughs> right. But I mean, from what I see, like, because I vote too and I see it. Yeah. And getting to know more and more people, it's actually vote driven. So where where the, were you when you found out? Sorry, oh, yeah. that you were actually. I was in Aarhus, Denmark. Whoa, sure. Yeah, we were in Aarhus, Denmark, and we. Is that Danish for our house? Uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> that's madness. <laughs> so um, we were just pulling into Aarhus, Denmark. I had woken up late. Coming down stairs on the bus, uh, we're approaching our hotel, so the bus is going real slow. And I just go down there first thing and um, and pour a cup of coffee, and I'm just trying to get my wits about me. Yeah. 
thinking, all right, all I'm thinking about is the day off. All right, I want to go running. I want to run over to this library, the different things that I like in Aarhus. And all of a sudden, everybody that's down there starts going crazy. They say, you, oh my God, we're nominated. We're nominated. <laughs> and I, I'm looking at that and just thinking, what? Oh, and just trying to let that sink in. And within two minutes, we're nominated again. Boom, ah. boom, 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 boom. Ah. Wow. And so my phone starts blowing up, you know, calls from my manager, my A&R. People you haven't heard producer. from in years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that came later in the day. But. <laughs> for the uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, Rival Sons is up for, and those, those two noms are Best Rock Album, uh, Feral Roots, and Best Rock Performance for the song Too Bad. Another great newer artist is the three-syllabled Marcus King. Here's Marcus talking about another three-syllabled artist, the Black Keys, and the album El Dorado that has his great three-syllabled young man's dream. Welcome, Marcus. Hey, man. I've been watching you uh, in videos for, for years now. I've never seen you live. I know you've played here before, so I'm really looking forward to that Beacon Theater show. Um, El Dorado is Spanish, but it translates into English. Uh, place of fabulous riches. <laughs> yeah. So is that about moving from Greenville to Nashville? Yeah, man. It's really about seeing Nashville as a place for just uh, tremendous opportunity. And that's one of the reasons I moved there. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, I got reached out to, and uh, Dan Auerbach wanted to get together and write some tunes. For the Black Keys, yeah. Yeah. And that just really stunned me. And it kind of came out of nowhere, so... I got on the next flight the next day <laughs> and went to Nashville because they're, uh, they're residents of Nashville, the Black Keys are. And um, we rode together and we really hit it off, you know, became good pals. And then, you know, a year later we, we do this record. And uh, that was a big uh, that was a big reason for me moving there, just seeing what a vibe that he's created and what a buzz there is there for, for younger artists that are trying to, just be around a happening, you know? This is a tune uh, that we wrote with uh, Pat McLaughlin. It's one of the first songs that we wrote for the record here at Easy Eye, and um, it's just kind of a coming-of-age story, and I think everybody's on their, on their own journey, and this one kind of talks a little bit about mine. It's a song called Young Man's Dream.
And in our shit news... The music world loses a legendary musician. Entertainment guru George Pinocchio joins us live from home with the sad news. George? Thank you, Ellen David. Dusty Hill was a part of the rock and roll world for 50 years. Today we learn the ZZ Top bassist has died. Now, while no official cause has been given yet, his bandmates Billy Gibbons and Frank Beard issued a statement saying, we are saddened by the news today that our compadre, Dusty Hill, has passed away in his sleep at home in Houston, Texas. They said they will miss his steadfast presence and good nature. Dusty Hill was 72. So just a bit of history with ZZ Top. They were formed in 1969 by Billy Gibbons with Lena Gregg on bass and organ, then Billy Etheridge on bass and drummer Dan Mitchell. Frank Beard joined on drums in 1969 and then the three-syllable Dusty Hill joined in 1970. And that lineup did their first gig on February 10th, 1970 and the lineup has stayed unchanged for 51 years until Dusty's death this week. Billy Gibbons has already stated that the bass position will be filled by Rusty's bass tech, Alwood Francis, as per Rusty's wishes. Another amazing long run of a band was the three-syllabled The Four Tops, who had the same lineup from 1953 to 1997, which is 44 years. And that lineup was only split up by the death of Lawrence Payton in June 1997. Duke Fakir is the last remaining member of the Four Tops and is still performing under the name The Four Tops with Lawrence Payton's son, Lawrence Payton Jr. Rush had its classic lineup from 1974 to 2018, which is 41 years. And U2 had a few different members along with the four current members from 1976 to 1978, and they were called Feedback and The Hype. Then in March 1978 became a four-piece and changed their name to U2 and haven't changed members since. So they have been together for 45 years and 43 years as you two. Anyway, RIP Dusty Hill and back to three by three. Marcus King talked about Dan from the Black Keys. Their first single to chart in the US was the three syllable Tighten Up from 2010. Yes, are a uh, wonderful rock and roll band from Akron, Ohio, and their new album is entitled Brothers. Uh, please welcome back to the program, The Black Keys, everybody.
Another album that I've pillaged over the life of the podcast is August and Everything After by the three-syllabled Counting Crows. Earlier we heard Motley Crue producer Tom Werman talking about the polishing on some songs from demo to album. And here's the demo for the three-syllabled Omaha that in my opinion lacks a lot of the beauty and space of the final recorded version. Since I couldn't come up with any any meaningful understanding of what it's what the hell we've been doing here for 25 years, uh, I would just come out and tell you stories about the songs. So uh, I don't know if a lot of you know this, but I, I grew up all over the country. I, I was born in Maryland, and uh, we moved up to to Boston after a bit. And then uh, when my dad got his orders for Vietnam, he was stationed out in West Texas. So we, we went out to El Paso. And we stayed in Texas for a while with a little trip up to Colorado and back. And by the time I got up to uh, California, where I spent the rest of my childhood, I had been all over the country. And uh, I had a kind of different perspective on things than a lot of the other kids I was growing up with did, because I don't know, maybe because they only lived in one place. They seemed to think that was the whole world. And, you know, I, I had been other places. We'd driven back and forth across the country two or three times by then. Uh, and when I wrote this song, I wanted you to feel that. I wanted you to feel the country in the song. Uh, but it didn't sound very good when we started playing it in the studio. I don't know what was wrong with it, but after a while, we decided just to ditch our instruments and play other things. And I didn't even sing for a while. I was playing harmonica. I have no fucking idea how to play harmonica. But uh, it turns out, and this will come in handy for you too, if you just buy them in the right key, pretty much all you need to do is inhale and exhale, and the, the actual harmonica does the rest. So I did that, and we stood around in a circle for a while. Charlie eventually picked up a, an accordion, which seemed like such a strange choice at the time to me be so different now if he hadn't. And we stood in a circle just listening to each other and playing for hours and hours and, and finally days. And then one day it just started to breathe the right way. Uh, this is Omaha. Turning the grain into the ground Rolling a new leaf over 
the night There's an old man shredding around in the gathering rain Hey mister, if you're gonna walk on water Oh, could you drop a line my way Oh, somewhere in middle America Give a right to the heart of matters It's a heart that matters more Your money back at the door You know that it would be untrue You know that I would be a liar If I was to say to you Hey man, I dig that choir I really don't like the choir I really can't stand a choir In fact, I'd like to set those cunts on fire There was this period of time when my family kind of came off the rails. My dad's drinking became a, an, an issue. He was highly functional, and he certainly was a, a brilliant man, but sort of haunted, and his drinking, uh, you know, alcohol was a problem for him. So I think that sort of came to a, a head, came to a crisis in the late 60s. Um, my folks broke up. Uh, I don't know what sent the, uh, the Taylor siblings into such a tailspin, but three of us ended up in psychiatric hospital. You know, it was, it, it was at a time in the popular culture when, when things were, were, were really coming unglued, you know, so. It was in the late 60s, early 70s. It was a very uh, exciting time and very unsettling, and the drummer from my band, The Flying Machine, was a heroin addict, and it was a matter of time before I, I got my first taste, and I was gone. As soon as I, as I was introduced to opiates, I was gone. Well, the song, uh, Fire and Rain, is, uh, it, you know, uh, it, it's, it, was, uh, um, it was the song that, was, uh, that, that I became known for. It was my first uh, out-of-the-box uh, success. So uh, I think I was identified as that, uh, as the person who sang that song, and, and people sort of, I guess, presume that that's my uh, personality, a sort of angst-ridden uh, or, uh, you know, self-absorbed uh, autobiographer. And, you know, uh, there, there are other songs as well. There are other types of music uh, available from, from my my pen or from my guitar. Well, at uh, the same but, time, you were writing but, things like Sweet Baby James, which extraordinarily well-known as well, but that one sort of uh, talks of innocence and, and, and evokes this idea of innocence. And so there's two sides to you that are developing at the same time. There's the very troubled, pained side, and there's also a, a James Taylor that appears to hanker after innocence, ideas of rootedness and home. 
and the two don't seem to go together. Well, you, you know, they're uh, obviously they do somehow fit in the same person, um, and uh, what what they are is perceptions of, of who I might be to anyone who's interested again. Um, uh, you know, the 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 uh, the contradiction is uh, uh, you know there's not. There's not much of a contradiction really there, I don't think. I, I don't think I was developing two separate personalities, in other words. I think that people, were, if they cared to pay attention at all, were, were uh, noticing two different uh, aspects of my, just two, two different songs with two different feelings. It's, uh, it's not, um, you know, it's, it's no big thing. Suzanne from Fire and Rain was a real person a childhood friend of James Taylor's called Susan Schneer, who committed suicide in the late 60s. Just yesterday morning, they let me know you were gone. Suzanne, the plans they made put an end to you. I walked out this morning and I wrote down this song. Just can't remember who to send it to I've seen fire and I've seen rain I've seen sunny days that I thought would never end I've seen lonely times when I could not find a friend But I always thought that I'd see you The drummer from my band, The Flying Machine, was a heroin addict. Sweet dreams and flying machines in pieces on the ground. Oh, I've seen fire and I've seen rain. I've seen sunny days that I thought would never end. Luckily, the great James Taylor is still with us, and he's seen a lot of new things since 1970. I've seen snakes upon a plane I've seen shampoo with conditioner built right in I've seen Al Roker's body go from fat to thin And I kind of hope to see Left Shark again I've seen toast that's multi-grain I've seen almost every episode of Friends I've seen adult diapers, I think they're called Depends But I never saw that show with the Olsen twins I woke up and I had the melody to song yesterday in my brain and I didn't have any words so I called it scrambled eggs scrambled eggs oh my baby I love you I think the difference between me and a lot of people is they they often dream about music but they don't remember it uh, but for some reason this melody just uh, kept going around and around my brain so I was near a piano so I, I, I kind of remembered it and blocked out some chords a couple of months later I put some uh, words to it Yesterday. Now with a song from our new album in England, and it'll be out in America shortly. 
and it's a song with featuring just Paul and it's called Yesterday. It'll be an F for you. Yesterday. I'm in G, but it'll be an F. It goes E minor to A seventh to D minor. Ready? Okay, man. <laughs> Yesterday, all my troubles seemed so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Oh, I believe in yesterday. Suddenly, I'm not half the man I used to be. There's a shadow. So just some facts on the three-syllable Yesterday by the Beatles. It made it to number one in the US in 1965 and it was their sixth number one in a row. But it wasn't released as a single in the UK as Paul was the only Beatle to appear on it and it was way different to anything the Beatles had recorded up until that point. And the Beatles manager Brian Epstein and their producer George Martin discussed the possibility of releasing the song as a Paul McCartney solo single but that was poo-pooed. In 2012, the BBC reported that Yesterday was the fourth most successful song ever in terms of royalties earned, as it had been covered and recorded over 2,000 times. Yesterday was ranked number 13 on the Rolling Stones' 500 Greatest Songs of All Time. And yep. Alright, let's move on. Hello. Hello, this is Doc Mason calling from Los Angeles. You're, you're joking. How are you, Doc? Okay, thanks, Ian. That's good. Listen, uh, congratulations on the other night for winning the Countdown Award. Thank you. We're really thrilled about that one. Really knocked out. Very pleased to hear about it over here, too. Now, listen, uh, first of all, I've got to congratulate you because we're going to play it in a minute on your new single, No Secrets. It's a ripper. Keeps 
Syllabled No Secrets from the band The Angels. And thus ends part two of 3x3, and in a first, I have a triple episode to honour the number three. But I am going to break it up next week and do another episode of the series, which I'll do a deep dig on one band, or more specifically, one error of one band. And as the French say, it shall be bon. And it'll be a pleasure for you not to hear the word and me not to say the word syllable. And the following week will be the final instalment of 3x3. By three. I guess it doesn't really matter what the topic is. Hopefully I'll have some more great artists, tunes and facts and stupid nuggetry for you then. Thanks again for listening, rating, sharing and following the podcast on Instagram, a rock and roll rabbit hole podcast. And as always, I want to end the podcast with a lesser known great artist. And for this week's special human, we head back to America for a great three syllabled LA singer songwriter, Courtney Matz. Courtney really has a unique, beautiful voice and her songwriting is world class. So please check out the Victims tab on the website, arockandrollrabbithole.com, for a link to Courtney's music, as well as Witching Hour, who we heard earlier. And here's Courtney Matz's Nugget Mentioning Nugget, Pyrite Road. Thanks again, guys. See ya. Pickaxe ready and a grim expression. There's a yellow road and I'm going to find it. Perseverance takes a powerful vision There's a lot of work in gold mining I don't know which way to find the gold There's a whisper in my soul, better mind it Here I go on a long ass shot To find the hill with a ribbon inside it I've been chasing chunks I wonder if I'm crazy for trying Old timers say you gotta follow your own nose But what if mine's lying? A dig away, it's the same every day Other veins obey but not my one What's this flash in the pan? Oh man, it's a big fat
dangers Deep out here in the mine and shine True gold ain't the only thing that glitters See this color, the shape and density I truly hate to see you embittered Gold is softer and has no scent But what you found is its image spitter Give your pity to dreams for